God is good. <laughs> hey, let's do that with some enthusiasm, okay? God is good. All the time. That's the truth. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Some of you don't know this, but I spent five days in a hospital in London just recently. London, England, that is, not Ontario. Where I had a mild heart attack. Over the years, by the way, I've had two open heart surgeries. I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> the good news is this, that... Uh, hey. Though it was a heart attack, no damage was done to my heart, which is amazing. And since I've gotten back, they've put three stents in one graft in my heart. And they may get in there and do some more yet. But uh, thank you for your prayers. Some of you have been praying fiercely and mightily, and we felt those prayers. Again, the other fun part about this, I was forbidden to fly home by the doctors in England. I think in the USA too. So my wife and I got to sail back on the Queen Mary too. Not bad. Well, we're in a series here leading to our 20th anniversary Big Bash that's coming up in July. We're actually going to have one big service over in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock to celebrate the birthday of Christ Church 20 years ago. That's going to be a big deal, uniting all the music and the choirs You know, we're going to be, it just crossed my mind when we were singing earlier, there are so many good voices here. We are going to be singing Handel's Messiah, the Hallelujah, not the whole Messiah, the Hallelujah Chorus. And if you've sung that, if you've got a voice, we're looking for volunteers to swell out that choir. So you want in on that? Uh, just call up the church and we'll get you, you know, you've got information on your, or email us, you've got information in your service sheet, and be a part of that celebration. You will love it, and we will too. But in any case, our series we've taken from the Acts of the Apostles. That is the early church. After Jesus rose from the dead... And the Pentecostal spirit came upon the church and baptized the church with the power to go out into ministry and mission. That story is told in that first book, Beyond the Gospels. So you've got your four Gospels and then you hit the Acts of the Apostles. We've called the whole series The Young Church in Action. We borrowed that title from J.B. Phillips, who translated the New Testament, the whole of the New Testament, into contemporary English. That's before all the other Bibles went in that direction. 
All we had was the King James Version, virtually, with thus, thee, thy, and the old Elizabethan language of Shakespeare. And then Phillips came out in the 60s with this fantastic translation. And he called the Acts of the Apostles the young church in action. And that's how we've seen ourselves, as a young church in action. Twenty years ago, come July, we started worshipping in what was the Sewickley Country Inn. It's now demolished, and they're reshaping the land there for some other building, down on the Ohio River Boulevard, close to the Sewickley Bridge. We started and we were in a very governmental-looking, miserable piece of space, which they had the audacity to call a ballroom. (laughs) But we decorated it as best we could, week after week, to look something like church. We grew to the point that it was no longer large enough, and we moved over the second year to the Moon Area High School auditorium. That was vast. And then that year, we purchased land which we're now standing or sitting on and put together the money to build what is just Wilson Hall. This was our first church. None of the rest of that out there other than the cafe, which was like an atrium, was here. So we had classroom space just under this building, and this was our church. When we moved in here, we were only about a half full. Maybe three quarters, but there was plenty of space here. Because we built the church for people who were not yet a part of our church. Our vision was to reach out to others, draw them to the Lord Jesus and into the family of God. In not many years, I haven't got it worked out and I won't take the trouble to do it, but in not many years, we had a Saturday night service here and three Sunday morning services. So we'd outgrown this space. And the congregation, along with the leadership of the church, then began to plan the larger building, which we call the Sanctuary and the commons with all the children's space underneath it let me tell you something day camp took over the whole of the blooming space this week there were kids everywhere noise and life and vigor everywhere it was spectacular so here we are looking at a 20th birthday And the staff got together and prayed about it and came up with the notion that if we preach from the young church in action, we can re-inspire all of you who've now made this church a part of your life. You've become a part of the family here. To end up, because of this series and our celebration, and God being at work in you, Setting your heart 
in motion to share with others the good news of what God has done for you. That's the deal. I know that Denny Patton teaching last week because I listened to his sermon and it was spectacular as he spoke about what the silver ring thing is doing and there was that testimony of a guy whose life was changed by it and for those of you who missed it the silver ring which I'm wearing here is an encouragement to teenagers and young adults to stay sexually inactive not to get sexually engaged until marriage. The beauty of it is, because so many blow it so soon before they even get the notion that they could ever keep themselves for their husband or wife, that in coming to Jesus you can have a second virginity. Begin again. And tens of thousands of kids around the world now have put on this ring, come to Jesus, and started again. That's good news. But what Denny spoke about was this, the explosive growth in the early church. On the day of Pentecost, which was really 50 days after Passover, Jesus died on Passover. The word Pentecost is really in Greek, 50. 50 days later, the early church, a small group of apostles gathered, and the Spirit of God came upon them. They went out and preached, and on the first day of the life of the church, the day of Pentecost, some of you know this number, 3,000 people were converted to Christ and baptized. One sermon, one day, 3,000. That's twice the number we have here on a Sunday morning with all our services. 3,000. Within a couple of chapters, Peter and John have healed a leper, not a leper, a cripple, and people have gathered around them And before you know it, that 3,000 has become 5,000. A number stated right here. The young church alive in action. 5,000. Then there was pushback. The old Jerusalem was very small. Some of us had just been there. Old Jerusalem of that day was very small. 5,000 people converted. That's like half of Pittsburgh out on the streets alive in faith it's extraordinary can you imagine where the religious leadership began to push back they hauled off Peter and John you caught some of this story last week from Denny and they had him then before the courts and they forbade them to teach in the name of Jesus and Peter said whether it's right In your eyes or not, we can't help but tell you the good news of Jesus. And they went right out and they kept right on. And the pushback continued. By the time you get to chapter 7, and all this is moving very quickly, they kill Stephen, the first martyr of the church, the first one to die under the leadership of Christ. 
They stoned him to death. That's when Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the Apostle, comes on the scene. He's one of the leaders. He's participating in that execution. When you get to chapter 8, the very next chapter, there is now such an opposition to the Christian church. The believers, the body of believers, they weren't organized and meeting in buildings. They were just out and about meeting in homes, meeting at the temple. There was such a pushback that there was a general persecution. This is Acts chapter 8 verse 1. The same chapter that we're going to come to toward the end of the chapter where Philip turns up on the scene. On that day, the day they killed Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They had to run for their lives. Now let me ask you, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where all this was going on. Judea, that's a bit further afield. Samaria, that's a bit further afield. And to the uttermost parts of the earth. In a way, that happens in chapter 8 because of this persecution. Because they were scattered in Judea and Samaria. Persecution created an evangelistic movement, a missionary movement. Let me tell you. When Mao Zedong, Chairman Mao, back in the 50s, running into the 60s, took over China, there were roughly speaking about a million plus Christians. When he took over, because of the atheism of the communism of Mao Zedong, and the threatened persecution, half of those believers immediately quit. Just melded into the woodwork. Of the other half, half of them were immediately executed. And that last 25%, they took the children away from the parents, they took the husbands away from the wives, and they scattered them all over China. And what Mao Zedong did in that act was create one of the largest missionary movements in history. Because wherever they went, that last 25%, they went and told the people wherever they were about Jesus. They weren't crying in their beer, or their rice curry, or whatever they had in China at that time. They were telling people about Jesus. Today, this is a fact of church history more people are coming to faith in Jesus in China every day than the rest of the world put together thank you Mao Zedong this persecution right here had the same impact 
scattered the Christians, and they actually listen to this as I read it to you. This is verse 4 of chapter 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And one of them was Philip. So it goes on to speak of Philip going to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed Christ. And the crowds that heard it and saw the miracle, miraculous things he did became very, very interested, and many of them devoted to Christ. And suddenly God whisks Philip away from that scene in Samaria and tells him to go down onto the Gaza Road. That's a road running from Jerusalem to Gaza. I don't know if you ever catch the, the history, the geography, and the violence of what's going on in Israel right now. But Gaza is a center of much pain and reaction. But that road that goes down the coast of the Mediterranean, headed south out of Jerusalem through Gaza, is actually on its way to North Africa, Egypt and the rest of North Africa. And Philip's on the Gaza road. What's he doing on the Gaza road? He was just being obedient when a chap comes by who's black from Ethiopia. He was Queen Candace's treasurer managing all the money of Ethiopia he'd become a Jewish convert had come up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple was on his way back in his chariot that's not a two wheel chariot it's a four wheel chariot somebody else driving it like a an old fashioned airstream I mean he had a place to stay He slept on it, traveled south. And he's there, being drawn along, reading Isaiah. Same chap as Isaiah. Chapter 53, which is about a lamb being led to the slaughter, the sacrifice of the Messiah, no justice, and through that sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins. He's reading that out loud. Philip's, Philip is on the road as he's going by and he hears him reading this. God prompts him and he starts running alongside. This is quite a scene. Running alongside the chariot as it's being drawn along and he shouts out to him, do you know what you're reading there? Do you understand it? Says the Ethiopian, how can I understand unless somebody tell me, teach me? Is this man speaking about himself or is he speaking about someone else? Pastor Jamie, as he started leading worship here, said it's great to ask questions. Because we can get the answer, the answers are there. Ask them. So he's asking that question. He invites Philip up into his chariot. Now you've got a one-on-one Bible study headed south on the Gaza Road. 
And it's clear from everything that follows that Philip explains to him, beginning with Isaiah, but ending up with Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross, that we can be forgiven, that he is alive, born again, and made a commitment, and asked to be baptized as they pass a water wadi little pond of water guess what happened Philip gets whisked away going up the coast of Caesarea that was the secular center of that part of the world we've just been in Caesarea it's called Caesarea because named after Caesar Caesar was the Roman governor it was a Roman center the Roman power and authority was there And so was Philip preaching the gospel. Meanwhile, headed in the other direction, south, is one Ethiopian convert who brings the gospel now to North Africa. I've read that when missionaries got to Ethiopia, they found believers and wondered how they got there. (laughs) Through, Through the Ethiopian. He was ready to go. That could be my glasses. Here's the deal. If every one of us, just think, look around, see, I can see you all, went out from here with that same energy and passion and joy, it says he went on his way rejoicing. Filled with the love of God and what God had done for him. From a standing start or a rolling start in a chariot, he came to faith and heads off with the gospel back into North Africa. If every one of us had that same joy and exuberance, can you imagine what would happen here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? If we were about that business ourselves? Do you know, a year ago, every summer I go down to North Carolina. So I did get to go down to North Carolina. It's quite miraculous. I mean, I, you don't want to hear my medical history. We don't need an organ recital right here and right now. But I'll tell you this. A year ago, I was down there, and a chap signed up me to play golf with another fellow who said he was a, an agnostic. So as we're playing golf, and that was a deal, I was set up to go after this guy, <laughs> in case you missed that. So we're supposed to be playing golf, but I've got him in my vision. He tells me he's an agnostic. I say, well, you're really an atheist. An agnostic is an atheist who hasn't got the guts to say he is an atheist. (laughs) I gave him a life-focused New Testament, signed it to him. His name was Wayne. And he's been reading it. That was last year. I'm back there this year, and they signed me up to play golf with him. Again, different spirit. He's been reading that New Testament all year. It's a systematic day-by-day way to read the New Testament. 
He comes to hear me preach on Sunday morning and gives his life to Jesus. Whoa. Just one guy. Now, that's what you'd expect me to do. I'm a pastor and a preacher. But I want to call, who's become a dear friend of mine, all of a sudden, Taylor, come on up here. This is Taylor Bender. Give her a warm welcome. Just graduated from Moon Area High School on her way to end. <laughs> See your fans out there from Moon Township. And uh, is on her way to Edinburgh to train to be a nurse. Her mother, who works for us at the church, one of our staff, in fact, she does all the design work. Phenomenal, Michelle spoke to me just a few days ago and said that Taylor had been away on a senior outing, was at the beach, around a bonfire, and got into a conversation with the fellow students. And it was so remarkable. I said to Michelle, Taylor's mom, do you think Taylor would tell that story? Well, I think within two days you were in my office and we went over it and sure enough, she's more than willing, more than able. So here is Taylor Bender and I want you to give her a big warm welcome right now. I just graduated from high school and I'll be the first to admit that it's hard to stay faithful in a place where God is just not welcome. Many young people in my generation are apprehensive to know God or to even let him impact their lives. So I live on this principle of optimism, and I want to change their thoughts. So when the opportunity came to me, I didn't hold back. On a senior trip three weeks ago, my friends and I sat around a fire on the beach under a truly amazing nighttime sky. Did you know that there are more stars in this universe than there are grains of sand on the earth? And did you know that the stars burn hotter than any fire man could ever make? And speaking of fire, did you know that hell is described as a lake of fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched? It's a long shot, but this is the series of questions and thoughts that delved my friends and me into the best two-hour conversation that I've ever had. You see, all my life I've been a believer. I was baptized and raised in this church, and I was naive to the fact that not everyone was raised like I was. I know the word and I know the way. My friends that I spoke with were raised Catholic and have not been to church since their confirmation. They believed in a God that they knew little about and I could tell they were confused but they were also wanting to know the things that I already knew and that's why God put me there. They questioned why a loving God would allow anyone to go to hell. My answer, because God is perfect and we are imperfect. God can't allow sin into heaven. But he has mercy on us. Jesus is our savior. If you accept that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is alive in us and that he saves us from our sin, then there's your ticket to heaven. And if you don't, well, by this point, they had already understood the alternative. The conversation didn't end there, and for that, I was grateful. They had so many questions, and I know God called on me to provide those answers. My friend questioned, well, how do you know? How do you not have any doubt? And I said, because I can feel it. It's like the wind. You can't see it, but you can feel it. I'm only 18, but you don't need to be a scholar to understand this. 
My generation lacks knowledge and the will to comprehend. As we grow older as a society, we are losing faith. It's becoming popular to support things that are sinful. Things in the Bible are not meant to be interpreted according to what society would like to see. That's why it's important that we as Christians make an effort to change that. We need to tell those who don't know and share the gospel and speak the truth. You only get one life, and so do they. So don't wait until it's too late. I came home from this trip so excited to tell my parents about this one conversation. Growing up, my mom always said that my job as a Christian was to plant seeds. So, of course, her response was, Taylor, you planted a seed in them. And I said, no, Mom. I'm pretty sure I convinced them. <laughs> oh. Doesn't that bless you? Inspire you? Taking on her teenage peers, sitting on a beach, getting to the subject of hell because fires are hot, (laughs) and going from there to Jesus and a Savior. How cool is that? Well, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for Taylor. Thank you for her dad, Tom, and mother, Michelle. Thank you for the way they have raised her. Thank you for this church and the family in which she's grown up. Thank you for her witness. And we pray for those who heard that going out into the future, they would become enthusiasts for you and continue to pass on with that same love and care the message that Taylor shared with them. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Taylor. Thank you. Well, we're kind of done here. You got the message? You couldn't miss it. That explosive expansion of the early church, the young church in action. The way God blessed us over the years, the early years here, by which we had that same, not in the same proportion, but pretty dramatic for us to move from about a hundred folks meeting in a motel room to what we have going on here now. What about the future? By that I mean this afternoon. Tomorrow? What about you? Where are you in this picture? Have you got that same love for Jesus that Taylor has? Do you know you don't have to have a lot of information in order to share the love of Jesus and what he's done in your life? You don't have to be a theologian. I love Taylor saying that. You just need to share with them what you know. Do you know, Jesus said, do you know this simple statement, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness, more abundantly. Do you know that verse? Pass that on. That's why Jesus came. Most people don't know that. They probably think Jesus came to make us miserable. Because they think sin's fun. 
and knowing Jesus is not. So what you've got out there is one miserable world and those of us who know and love Jesus have got the joy of the Lord in our hearts. What a switch. We've got something to pass on and they need it. And you've got it. How many of you do not know? I'm not, let me put that, that's not even fair. Because I know most of you know. For God so loved the world. Why don't you say it all with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the message. That God loves them. That he sent Jesus to die for them. That when they believe in him, they don't go to hell and perish. They go to heaven and live forever joyfully. You've already got the gospel. Pass it on. Be prepared. When God scattered those first believers, the gospel exploded with them. When God scattered via Mount Situng the believers in the church in China, the gospel went with them. That's a demonstration to you and to me about our mission, a joyful mission, an intimidating mission, but joyful nevertheless. I'm here because a man spoke to me at an opportune moment when I was 15, maybe going on 16. And when I was 17, going on 18, I gave my life to Jesus. But I go back to that man who first took the moment, seized the moment, to share with me the love of Jesus. I know his name. I sometimes weep as I think about him because of what my life has become because of his speaking the word of truth to me. There were others involved in it, and including Billy Graham. You've got that same power if you know Jesus and you have him in your heart and the knowledge of his love in your mind. Put it on your lips and you're on your way. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess to you that we've been asleep on the job. Missing opportunity after opportunity. Please forgive us. Please forgive us. We redevote ourselves to you, Lord Jesus, right now. We begin again with you. Thank you for the opportunity, this opportunity right now, to begin again with you. And since I'm aware that there may be one person here who's never really gotten in touch with Jesus personally, is right on a precipice right now,
needs to step out and trust you. That one person. If you are that one person, know that this is a moment for you to take opportunity and make your very own and ask Jesus to come into your life. If you are that one person, make this prayer that I pray now, I'll pray in the first person, make it your own. Say to Jesus, dear Jesus, I need you. Forgive me. Forgive me for the games I've been playing, sitting on the fence, one foot in the gutter, the other on the sidewalk. I'm ready to surrender all to you. I'm weary of playing the game, of avoiding you, and hiding from you. Right now I step out into the sunshine of your presence and love and ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart. Forgive me my sins. All the stuff that I am so ashamed of and guilty of, forgive me. That I might begin again with you. Fill me with yourself. Drive out the darkness and the doubt and the misery and the guilt. Fill me with your love and your joy, your exuberance. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So thank you for these times of refreshing. Thank you, Lord.